from the heart of the Heath, serving the University Hospital of Wales, St David's Hospital and the Cardiff Royal Infirmary too. We are Radio Glamorgan. You're listening to Hospital Radio Glamorgan. My name is Andrew Wolfe and I'm here at Woodland House, the offices of the Cardiff and Vale University Health Board, invited, I hasten to add, uh, by its new CEO, Suzanne Rankin. Suzanne, good to have you on Hospital Radio Glamorgan. Um, and thank you for inviting us to your new abode. How are you settling in is the first question. Really. Well, Andrew, I have to tell you that everybody here has made me so welcome. I've had a really lovely, warm welcome. Well, warm Welsh welcome. Good, that's what we give. And you do, and um, it's it's tangibly different from what I've experienced in other parts of the country. So, big thank you to everybody. Tell us about your background and and how you came to land a role at a very uh, important and sensitive time for the NHS post COVID. Because you're ex MOD, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Well, I started my career um, as a naval nurse. I joined the Royal Navy in 1987 and went and did basic training down in Plymouth and then I went on to undertake registered general nurse training and qualified as a nurse in 1990 and then spent the next 19 years serving in the Royal Navy. I was commissioned in 1995 as a nursing officer and served all over the world here in the UK, in Europe, in the Middle East, and spent quite a lot of my, the end of my career, um, uh, deployed as part of the support to the, the uh, operations that we were running in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, so quite a varied career at sea and in the air and on the land. So was there history of that in your family? No, no history at all. Um, I mean, other than, you know, like many people you know grandparents serving in the in the wars but uh no i i was i guess i was looking for something that would be a bit different would have uh give me the opportunity to train and get paid (laughs) who doesn't (laughs) want to do that um and um but would also give you a career and of course it did give gave me a wonderful career and it gave me a wonderful set of opportunities. The thing about the military is you get absolutely brilliant professional development. So mm. I, I was very lucky to benefit from, you know, a whole, you know, I served for 22 years and during that time I had lots of professional development, both clinically. So I went on to become a, a postgraduate nurse in orthopaedics and trauma, but also professionally. Um, I was very fortunate to be sent to do a year's master's degree. So, you know, not like many of my colleagues in the NHS who have to struggle to do their master's Mm. and work full-time. I was sent away full-time on full pay and did a master's degree in international relations and politics, which was, you know, something that was going to be useful to the military, not necessarily to my clinical career. So, you know... I've, I've, I've really been very fortunate to have had that experience. But it was always going to be the medical career that would be the path you take? I guess so. I mean, I've, I've, I absolutely... I mean, that, I think what's not to love? I mean, I loved being a nurse. Mm. I mean, what, someone said to me this morning, once a nurse, always a nurse, and it is true. Um, and I found I was quite good at it. And I got to work with people, and I do I do enjoy working with people. I get my energy from working with people, um, and in, and it's challenging, and every day is different. And I suppose you know I found a place where I felt I was making a contribution. I felt valued and felt encouraged, and so I didn't really look 
I didn't really look for anywhere else. So, moving to the present day, you get this new position mm. uh, in a trust that has approximately 14,500 staff, mm. 1.4 billion budget, and provides healthcare to almost half a million, so not daunting at all. <laughs> what, what were your first impressions of Cardiff and Vale, UHB especially, compared to what you might have been expecting? Um, to be honest, I pretty much knew what to it. I'd done a lot of due diligence. You know, you don't, you don't, you know, when you, when you are in the fortunate position to be considering roles of this kind, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a bit different, certainly from my more younger days. So when you come through a process, you're, you're looking to see if, if the role is what you want and whether the place is somewhere you want to be is as much as the organisation is looking at you to check you out mm. and see whether you're going to be the leader um, with the right set of values that you want. So I'd, I'd actually spent quite a bit of time in Cardiff. I'd spent a lot of time during the sort of preceding few months speaking to members of the executive team, obviously Jan as the chairman, other independent members, other stakeholders, beyond uh, the board itself so I'd got to, I'd got a pretty good understanding of what the scale of the organization um, is and um, the kinds of services that it offered but also some of the challenges and to be honest although the challenges are probably um, in a different scale depending on which bit of the health board that that they're in they're not unfamiliar to me. I mean, no. I was a chief executive in the NHS for seven years before coming here and led an organisation through a pandemic. And then during the latter part of um, my time at the Trust, I'd actually gone to work in a very senior national role for test and trace during the first no. summer of the pandemic. So I've had quite a broad NHS experience. And although you would never say there's nothing that I haven't come across... I have to say, I haven't come here and found there's nothing that I haven't come across yet. Having said that, I mean, we might want to come on to some of the challenges that we're experiencing, mm. but I would say, and I think probably many of my peers also feel this, that the current level of challenge, the current level of demand, when combined with the challenges we've got in terms of staff recruitment and retention, they, they are... Um, you know they are outside my previous experience but I don't think I'm alone I think we're all pretty Mm. much saying it's such a unique situation. Well that moves me on to to the next point the NHS as a whole has been under the microscope for a long time yes uh, even pre-covid and during the early months of the pandemic we saw Instagram and and TikTok videos of staff at the end of their tether yeah Um, and now of course the service is playing catch-up so at the moment what are the main pressures on on CAVUHB? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that that during the course of the pandemic, I mean, frankly, before the pandemic started, if you'd have asked a member of the team how things were, they they would have absolutely told you that they were extremely busy, if not very stretched, that they were wondering about how sustainable the position was. Because I think we've known for a long time there are systemic challenges in healthcare and not just in Wales, you know, right right across the United Kingdom. And actually a lot of the trends we're seeing are also occurring in other parts of the world, particularly in systems where the healthcare 
provision is um, supported from a, you know by the public sector. So it is a challenge because as healthcare becomes more successful and therapies are more complex, we've got an aging population with a great deal of complexity in the needs that they present us with. And that is definitely, I, I can see that in my own professional career, um, the, the sort of the acuity, if you like, complexity and level of need that our patients present us with, whether they are in physical health, mental health, or indeed out there in primary care or in the community. So, so I think we knew we were challenged. Then we had a pandemic, which of course, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, there is going to be a public inquiry to look at, the, you know, the extent to which we were prepared, ready. Um, and you know, for sure, there was there was a degree of readiness for that, but probably there are th- well, certainly there are things we can learn from that. And now people are now tired, definitely. And I suppose the thing that keeps me awake at night is the resilience of the team, because actually, although we've got patients and and we know patients are suffering, they're waiting a long time if they need elective care. They are waiting a long time in the emergency care pathway. Mm. There's concerns around access to primary care, dentistry and so on. Actually, if you haven't got a team at the front door who's ready to deal with your need, you know, that's not likely to get any better, is it? Um, So that's where my real concern is. And I think people, there are members of our team who are really really at the end of their tether if they were at the end of the tether two years ago they're <laughs> they're even further down so those videos tether. i mentioned that yeah. we saw well, that was just the start of it. that was the start well it wasn't i suppose that's the point i'm making this this has not just happened overnight this is this is years on uh, of um what i'm saying is they're in a worse state now than they were they are in a worse. Emotionally. yes they are and physically and emotionally what i would say though what i would say is um you know I am so impressed. I mean, as I've gone, I've, I've made a really big effort in the last six months to get around and meet lots of people, get across all of our sites, all different kinds of colleagues from all different teams, clinical teams, nursing teams, district nurses, GPs, uh, surgeons, psychiatrists, porters, estates people, housekeepers, you name it. I think I've probably pretty much you know got around uh, at least a representative uh if you say um membership of of our organization and to two or one they are committed professional compassionate inspiring you know that's probably the word i use most frequently as i go around is you know i sit in a room and people tell me about the work they're doing they also do quite rightly tell me about the challenges and the things they'd like me to pay attention to um, but they're inspiring, you know. So, and, and I just think how incredible when they've been so busy, when they're so challenged. We also know one of our big problems is the estate we're working in is very often, you know, very outdated and underinvested in, not modern. Even then, you know, they often they greet me with a smile, friendly. They're keen to tell me about the things they've been doing. They've got vision for the future, know what their ambitions are for the future. So. I would just like to say, for, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to thank them, actually, for, for being so, so very fabulous, for making me so very welcome, but also for inspiring me. So although, yes, they're tired, yes, they're probably in a worse situation than they were um, two years ago, 
what is extraordinary is we're not done yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, very much not. But I think you've summed up the type of person that goes into the medical profession. Yeah. Uh, there's a lovely story from many, many years ago when I think ambulance staff are on strike. Yeah. And this guy on the radio was in town and they were picketing and somebody in the middle of the town centre just collapsed and they dropped all their picket boards yeah. and that guy comes first ahead of what we're fighting on. Yeah. And there is still that passion yeah. there. Yeah. Is it fair to ask you, you've only been in the job six months. Yeah. So is it fair to ask you at this stage uh, what's being done to ease the pressures that they have because statistically uh, Welsh waiting times in particular to be seen in A&E or having been admitted to yeah. find a bed uh, higher than England and second only to Wales, to yeah. Uh, Scotland. Yeah. yeah. So are we at a stage yet where we know what we're trying to do? Yeah, I think so. This, I mean, I think there is... The, frankly, we, we all quite well understand the problem. Um, I think there are a number of things we need. Num- number one thing for me to, is to look after the workforce we've already got. So there's something around team well-being and responding to their immediate needs. We have, you know, Rachel's launched her culture and people plan and there's a lot of work within there around well-being, offer and support. Uh, There are retreats being offered. Some of the team have already been on retreat to try to take some time out, have the opportunity with some expertise to reflect. Um, And, you know, just last week I was down at the Camarado's Lounge at UHW, which is a kind of comfy place to chill out inside uh, UHW, we've got one opening at UHL, and we're looking at what we can do at the other sites. You know, outside space is important for some of that. You know, uh, some fantastic gardens just, you know, up at UHL, Horatio's Garden, we've got the Health Meadow coming. So I think we've got an eye to all that. That isn't all ready all to go yet, but I think, I think um, more opportunity there. Then I think there's work to do around our models of care. How do we work together to deliver and organise services, whether that's with inside the, he- the, the sort of health board or with partners? And we're doing work on both, both of those things in both of the arenas of elective planned care, as you were referring to, to address the long waits that we've got. Yeah. We're particularly working, um, so we do a lot of work with Swansea Bay Health Board around the tertiary and specialist services looking at how we can ensure that we deliver equity of access and support for our patients, but also good clinical experience and development for our team. Working with um, Kumtaf Magarig and Anayan Bevan around ophthalmology, orthopaedics and diagnostics to see whether or not, you know, working together uh, regionally in the southeast of Wales can help us address some of the issues, use our resources collectively more efficiently, respond to patients more quickly, and also ease that work-life balance for for our colleagues. And then across the urgent emergency care pathway, you may well know that Welsh Government have implemented a programme called the Six Goals Programme, which is a really good programme, actually. I think it's constructed in in a very intelligent way that looks at the whole pathway, because we all know this isn't about A&E, this is about what is happening out in the community, out in primary care, how well members of the public are being supported, how we're working with the ambulance service, then of course how we're working with social care and the local authorities to enable patients who do need support on leaving uh, hospital to, to access it. So that's a whole system piece of work. 
Um, I think there's work that we've got plans, you know, we've got short term, medium term, long term plans around uh, the estate and the infrastructure because actually, you know, if your building isn't big enough or the footprint is not good ergonomically and mm. it doesn't give you good clinical adjac adjacencies, then actually you're just not going to be as efficient as you, as you might be. Mm. So we've got plans around that that are actually... You know, we've got we've got plans around immediate things that we can do to improve the existing estate and, and ensure that we've got resilience in our estate and fixing some of the fundamental things like ensuring that our sewerage systems operate safely and effectively, nice. that we've indeed <laughs> that we've got electrical resilience in our buildings and that the rain doesn't come in the roof, you know, this sort of stuff. But then there are also of course the plans around UHW two which is the pr proposed replacement for the UHW uh, site um, and working with Welsh Government to progress those and I think that you know there are good signs that we will we will be able to get to a place of having something exciting to share. Um, Do we know yet where that might be? Well I mean even if we got the go even if we got the go live today it'd be 10 years. Yeah right yeah. I think I yeah. mean that's a sort of a guess but I, I would have thought it'd be 10 years but we're getting positive feedback good. <laughs> so that's good and then I think that so states the last thing I would talk about then I think is digital digitization I mean you know we're to your you know you pointing at some of the differences between us and England and you know there are differences clearly there are there are differences in both ways there are things about the Welsh system which I you know are the reason I've come to Wales so it's not it's it's not all that everything in England is bad good and everything here is you know bad not that at all i think there are two systems that are in many ways similar there are some differences but but there's good and bads on both sides what i would say is that england have probably made more progress in the investment in digitization in healthcare but you know frankly the scale gives them that opportunity yeah. you know um, but I think we've really, really got to pay attention to that here because I think it is the unlocker to lots of things, you know, helping our colleagues have a better experience of delivering care wherever they're working, mm -hmm. empowering our patients and giving them their healthcare information and, and, and what is rightfully theirs in the palm of their hand, much like we do with our banking or any other part of our life, and ensuring that we're able to deploy healthcare technologies in the pursuance of delivering, you know, cutting edge treatments and therapies that, you know, we're already starting to see in the arena of genomics and, and um, precision medicine that are absolutely transforming how we treat patients and how successful we are um, in their, for their outcomes, but also are very helpful in terms of managing the sort of demands that, that we're referring to. So, you know, some cancer treatments obviously currently require a lot of radiotherapy as an adjunctive therapy, for example. But there, you know, there are therapies coming down the track here that will will mean we we just won't need to do that, and that will release capacity and release expertise, you know, for other other forms of care uh, and delivery, and and mean we don't have to build very expensive infrastructure, or, or certainly not in the same quantums that we might need it. So, but we need to be ready for that. Yeah. You know, so I think I think those are the things that we kind of so the strategic things, there's immediate things, and the immediate things for me are about the quality of care our patients are experiencing, and I think that's often challenged at the moment. You know, their experience of the care, 
how good is our communication how how long are they waiting in a and e you know mm. are they able to communicate effectively with their with their relatives and those they love while they're in hospital those are the things that matter to people very often and of course that's what affected a lot of people through COVID. absolutely absolutely i think people do expect not that it always 100 percent happens but they do expect that will give them good care and mm. the right treatment so they don't na- they don't generally worry about that so much until after the event you know yeah. what they worry about when they're in the moment is you know am i comfortable have i got any pain is that being understood are the nurses and doctors ca- kind and caring and compassionate are they listening to me can my loved ones know how i'm doing you know those are the things that matter to people so we need to pay attention to that to comfort and dignity we need to make sure the team are really well as supported as we can possibly manage. That that's the immediate things mm. in terms of addressing the problems and challenges we've got. So, you you said all that without notes, so you know what's ahead. Um, there's no doubting the tasks, not just you and your colleagues, but all of us. So, if there's one way in which patients and the public can help, yeah, what would that be? I I mean I really. It's a, it's, it's a, well, there's lots of lots of things that the patients, the public can do. The first thing we can all do is take care of ourselves as well as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a great, I'm a great believer, and the longer I've been in healthcare, the more I believe this. That actually, the vast, vast majority of diseases, pathologies, are are avoidable. Not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are, and you know, driven by. Uh, poor diet, um, lack of exercise, underlying lifestyle choices. She's talking about me, you know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> we're all. We've all got our vices. I mean, I like a glass of wine is next, next to the next person. So, and the reason I say it's difficult. So there are people in maybe my situation who, who have the privilege of making these choices, right? So you know, if I want to go to the gym, I just need to get around to joining a gym and going. I don't yeah. have to think. You know, is that possible in my life? I'm very lucky. Um, but there are also people in our community that don't necessarily have the privilege of making those choices. And we've seen great inequality, haven't we, as a result of the COVID mm-hmm. crisis. And now we're going into a cost of living crisis. So it's all well and good for me to sit here and say, so all the public need to do is, you know, eat the very best food, <laughs> join a nice gym. Yeah. You know, I know that isn't everybody's situation. But for those who can... I would really encourage them to do it. And then for those who aren't in that lucky, fortuitous place, you know, of course, we're doing the work with our public health colleagues and others out in the community. Prevention is always, always better than cure. Having said that, of course, there are times when, you know, things happen, young young people get sick, older people get sick, accidents happen, trauma happens. And, And in those circumstances, you know, choose well would be my would be my advice you know there are lots of ways to access healthcare, and you know for example we just launched 111 across wales i think cardiff and vale it's now all fully rolled out so you know use those access points as a means of understanding what the best access point for you is rather than just showing up in A&E, that kind of mm. thing. Now, But I think lots and lots of members of the public do 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 that. And then, of course, there's the preventative measures. You know, please, if you haven't had your COVID vaccine, you know, it's it, the offer is still there. It's an evergreen offer. Please come and get it. Of course, we're going into the autumn booster campaign. 
um, just in a few weeks that will be beginning so please you know if, if you're in the uh, category of patients that are being offered please take us up on that because that will help enormously and of course the flu vaccine is really important this season because we know from what's happened down in New Zealand and Australia through their winter which of course is while we're in our summer is that they have had quite a high uh, flu season so it would be really helpful to us if all those in the population who could be vaccinated and avoid becoming unwell with either COVID or flu were vaccinated. COVID-19 still has a, a huge impact on our services. We've talked yes. about that. We also talked about, I think, people like myself, um, and maybe it's because of my involvement with Radio Glamorgan, I don't know, but we have a better... Um, appreciation of medical staff and what they go through. Yeah. Are there any other positives that you think have come out of the pandemic? Oh my, huge, huge positives. Um, I mean, no one would want a pandemic to discover no. something good about the world or the society we live in, would they? Um, but, you know, sadly, that is where we are. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the, the amount of partnership working that we experienced and I know I wasn't obviously in Wales during that time but I experienced it where I was working and I know from talking to colleagues that you know the working across uh, partners with our colleagues in the local authorities in Cardiff Council and Vale of Morgan, with our third sector partners with the health charity with you know others who are there to support our team um, that there was just real sort of a sense of common commitment around responding the public were absolutely amazing mm. and hugely supportive i know that there was huge amounts of you know treats and and things to support the team donated by members of the public you know and the truth is the, the public were having a difficult time as well weren't they no question about it so i think you know that that what it showed is that the community really came together and it would be lovely if we could find a way to hang on to that. And I think quite understandably now what we're seeing is um, some frustrations starting to reveal. You know, the public feel that they are you know, coming out of, the, out of the pandemic and we do get questions, you know, why isn't everything just back to normal? And I can completely understand why members of the public would ask those questions and expect us to be back to normal. But the truth is inside healthcare we are not back to normal yet and it's going to take a few years for us to get back to normal um and, and you know i would ask that people are patient and bear with us but of course we need to make sure that we communicate effectively where people are in their pathway how we're going to respond to their needs i think the use and deployment of technology in the support of delivery of healthcare was you know i think Sometimes, you know, some, there were things that I'd been discussing with my colleagues for what felt like years that suddenly were implemented overnight and, and previously had been impossible and then suddenly weren't impossible anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, and much of that was things like virtual appointments and um, using technology to connect with patients and teams, actually. I mean, teams has absolutely transformed and it, and it will have transformed all our ways of working. I mean, I used to spend many hours in the car every week travelling between sites and, and driving from one end of Surrey to the other for meetings, which 
actually, even then, I didn't need to do that no. journey because, you know, not to mention the carbon footprint, um, because we had the technology, but none of us wanted to do it that way. No. <laughs> I, I'm, it's nice to hear you. Yeah. It's nice to hear you talk positively about the positives. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. Because it's very easy for us yeah. to say, oh, we've had this pandemic, yeah. life's at an end. Yeah, uh, but good things do come out. Yeah, of bad no, things. good things have come out, and I think there are like in like in all ch- crises, isn't there? You see, you see people. You see the good in people. You always sometimes see you sometimes see the worst as well, but you do see. And there were so many colleagues and members of the team who just stood up and you know above and beyond doesn't really cover it. Re- really, you, you know the. The, the compassion, the humanity, the desire to respond. It was, it was quite inspiring. I mean, someone, one of my colleagues said to me last week, do you remember at the beginning it was quite exciting? And, and you think, you, know, you wouldn't necessarily want to admit no. that to anybody. But, but you know, having been you know, operationally deployed in a, in, a, in a conflict, I kind of do know what they mean mm. because you... You kind of like okay, this is this is this is what I've trained for. And, Pete, and you thrive off. Yeah, and there's what's adrenaline and there's high intensity activity. If you're one of the people like me who loves that, that that you know that's my favourite. Not everybody likes that kind of working tempo, and I know that. Um, and it certainly isn't good for anybody for a long period of time. But so there was that sort of sense of excitement about. This is the NHS's moment. We've got to stand up now because the nation is depending on us. And it made you feel proud and it made you feel as though you were needed. And who doesn't want to be feel like that? But, of course, two years later, we're, we're now, you know, we are tired and we would just like a, 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 a bit of a holiday. You know, most of the team here didn't take any leave or hardly any leave for two years you know that that's not a sustainable position and I think this year people have been able to take a break which I'm really delighted about and really encourage everybody to do. So as we're sitting here chatting now uh, it's just after five o'clock in the afternoon you're going to yeah. go home soon um, hopefully what do you do to switch off? <laughs> well I'm just thinking about going home at five o'clock in the afternoon which just is Frankly, making me laugh. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, in about four hours. In, in about hours. four. Yeah. Um, you, well, I mean, I I love work. This is my happy place. So, and um, right now, I'm probably in a very unhealthy place because I am at work and I go home to a hotel. Right now, I'm quite happy to be here till whatever yeah. time it takes me to deal with my hundreds of emails. Because most days, most days, I'm back to back in meetings as I have been today and meeting people talking to people so to be honest my my if you like my managing and administrating my role day starts about somewhere between five and six that's when my and and then i do probably most evenings three hours of administrating the job i'll think of you tomorrow when i need my day job yeah well don't don't worry because it's it's a very great privilege to do this job, so I don't mind. Have you have you had much time for exploring Cardiff? In the I have got out a little bit, yeah. So I'm well. I'm currently looking for somewhere to live, and um, I think I'm going to try and live somewhere in Poncana because that's that's got you know a bit of vibe to it, hasn't it? It's got it's got you know nice restaurants and bars and you know not leafy. So that's where I'm looking at the moment. So that's nice. I've been down to the bay, and obviously that's lovely. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I, I came really was that where I live in Port, just outside Portsmouth, which we've lived there for a long time, being a naval family, 
so my husband's still serving so we won't be selling our house yet but um was because we have to drive it's sort of semi-rural we, we have to drive everywhere yeah. there's no culture really um and we thought coming in you know having somewhere to live in a city close to the city center with all the things that that offers all the sort of opportunities to have a slightly different lifestyle was one of the reasons we thought cardiff would be a great place to come and and it is, isn't it? I mean, mm. it is a wonderful, vibrant, metropolitan city. Lots of live music, lots of good restaurants and culture and the theatre. And there's, there's always shows. I had terrible trouble finding anywhere to stay the week Ed Sheeran was playing. In fact, it was virtually impossible. I had to stay in Bristol one night. Because uh, <laughs> so, there was just nowhere. There was not a bed in Cardiff. Well, somebody on, our, on, on Radio Glamorgan said that they, they, they can understand why we pulled out and wanted to host Eurovision because of that Ed Sheeran weekend. Was that... I mean, probably it affected lots of people yeah, similar, did it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, um, and so... Uh, but, but the other thing I'm doing, which I've really enjoyed or getting to enjoy, is I've just... Um, I was As part of the role, one of the opportunities to get is to sit on the uh, council of the Cardiff University right, yeah. as a lay person stroke NHS member, which is brilliant because in, in many ways that gives me sort of non non executive director experience. So that's fabulous. It gives me the opportunity, and obviously the, the Cardiff University is a really important partner for us in terms of all the work we do. You know, the undergraduate training of doctors, nurses, therapists, pharmacists, you know, all of those really important healthcare professionals that are at the start of their career. Then obviously we do postgraduate training and then there's a big research and innovation agenda with uh, Cardiff Unity. And of course, we share a lot of estate, particularly up on, on the Heath site. So that that's actually, that's been a great kind of something that I would not have been able to do in my previous job. Mm. I'm meeting lots of new people and actually it's getting me out and about in Cardiff because, you know, to visit, you, they've got sites all around, so I've been out in the centre. I've been up on the Vale. I love Barry, actually. Yeah. I really enjoy I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but when I got there, I thought, this is really lovely. It wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so, yeah, I am getting out a little bit and... Um, and it's clearly, it's beautiful in the summer. We've had a lovely summer, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my, my top thing next, get somewhere to live so that I don't have to live in a hotel. Suzanne, <laughs> it's been a pleasure meeting you. And I must say, uh, your air conditioning in these offices will be very welcoming. Um, <laughs> finally, Radio Glamorgan is a hospital radio station. Yes. So uh, is there a piece of music that we can play out for you? Well, you're very kind, Andrew, because you gave me like half an hour to think about this, didn't you? <laughs> and um, uh, so, I'm, well, I'm, uh, we've had a little bit of a discussion and we've landed on, on a choice, haven't we? So the last live music that I saw, which some of your listeners might be surprised to hear, was I went to see Stormzy in Dubai. I'm du- surprised. In Dubai. <laughs> oh, in Dubai? Yeah, yeah, we flew, we flew yeah. to Dubai for the week. Well, my husband works in the Middle East at the moment, so it was sort of meeting in the middle sort of thing. And um, we saw Stormzy, and it was absolutely fabulous. And one of my favourite songs is um, Blinded by Your Grace, which actually I think is quite appropriate, uh, and I'd like to dedicate it to my team. Hopefully uh, we'll do this again soon. But for the time being, Suzanne Rankin, thank you very, very much. Pleasure.